The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes, although they might not believe that at this point <laughs> with my 2019 productivity. And I'm Sam Abul Samet from Navigant Research. And I'm Rebecca Lindland from RebeccaDrives.com. So welcome back from the uh, New York show. I listened to the episode that you two recorded in a navigator last week. With with a with a very angry product specialist. <laughs> Signaling for us to get out of the car, so he Is pulls he up like shot. pointing. Or? Oh yeah, he was, oh, he, was, oh. he was doing all kinds of signals. You know, it's like you know, tapping on his wrist and you know, like, you know waving for us to get out. You know, cause <laughs> it was you know, it was closing in on close to five o'clock when the show floor is supposed to close up. Listen, and I think he wanted there to is get home. Drinking to be done it, uh, at that point. But exactly. It wasn't like there, it wasn't like there was a line waiting to get into the car. I no, mean, it, really... it wasn't. I don't think it was that. I think they just wanted us to get out. You know, so they could <sighs> close up. Yeah, he was very aggressive. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, for all the dirty looks he may have given you uh, for being in a navigator, I listened to that show while I was driving a navigator. And I could give them – yeah, it was just a, a fun little coincidence. And, I, you know, I could shoot back plenty of my own dirty looks for the horrendously <laughs> uncomfortable seats. I'm not sure how you guys managed to stay in there and, like, stay comfortable and talk for that long. How, how can you have 30-way power seats? And not find a comfortable position. I know. I think because they're thirty way power seats, there's no, there's there's no perfect, there's no good setting, you know. And so the the biggest issue is the I head think restraints. You're just deformed. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't everybody have a hunchback? And uh, um, yeah, the the biggest issue is my sort of constant bitching about those head restraints. And Lincoln's not the only company that does it, but you can't get it with the power seats. You can't get it out of the way enough. So, you know, sort of forces you into this weird sitting position. And they have like there's the thigh support as two different split things. There's no way to synchronize them, so they're never exactly the same. It's it's weird. Yeah, well, speaking- most people aren't aren't totally symmetrical anyway. That's why you have two <laughs> separate ones. <laughs> so I guess. I don't know if I've if we've ever talked about the head restraint things because are you talking about the headrests specifically? Yeah. So yeah. a lot of cars they're very aggressive. My Volvos were like this too. The last ones I had, and they, like I don't like it messing okay. with the back of my head, and I don't rest my head on it when I drive. So my chiropractor has been going on and on about these head restraints, and I know we're kind of off topic, but I'm just gonna. I have to stick up for her on this. So she will, she says that she will have clients come in and bitterly complain about neck pain. 
Yep. And inevitably, they have gotten a new car, usually a European model. And the if you touch the back of your head, just with the slightest bit of of anything, your neck instantly engages. And and her theory is that with these aggressively positioned headrests, that your neck is always engaged, like your muscles are always a little bit tense and people's necks end up being really sore. And she is just, just go. She will talk for half an hour to me if I let her about all these different. <laughs> then she'll need to massage her jaw. Exactly. Uh, uh, but no, I believe it because I, uh, that is my experience. And you wind up having to put the seat back at a weird angle to try to get yes. some relief from it. And so in a lot of media cars, what I do is I take the head restraint out when you can take it out and I turn it around and I put it back in. <laughs> And that's, that's, it's perfect. Yes. But when they're fixed and you can't turn it around, it, it's impossible. And I also wonder for women, if you have a ponytail or a bun or you oh, wear your hair up. Far worse. Like, yeah. It's not, I don't have a man bun, so it's not a problem for me. But I'm disappointed about that. that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Those days are over. Uh, so, all right. Let's, um, let's get to some cars that we're driving because then we're going to talk about Rivian and Ford and Tesla and uh, some auto geekery. But, uh, you know, Sam, what did you drive to the show? Uh, just before the or show. To the, to the airport to get to yes, the show. Yes. Dri- driving to the airport, I had the – and for the week prior to that, I had the, uh, the 2019 Cadillac XT4 Premium Luxury All-Wheel Drive. Uh, which is uh, Caddy's new compact crossover. Uh, and, you know, as it was when I drove it um, on the, the media drive last fall out in Seattle, it, it's it's still kind of a mixed bag. Um, you know, I, I really like the way it looks. Um, you know, I think it's got really great proportions. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a good execution of, of Cadillac's design language. Um, and, you know, there's some, you know, some of the things that, they've done with it like the side glass you know especially at the rear you know being fairly long it goes back you know pretty much all the way back um, which makes it good when you're sitting in the back seat because you know in a lot of modern cars when you sit in the back you know you've got big thick pillars that wrap around you and, and you end up feeling kind of enclosed and you know feeling like you're sitting in a bathtub or something, um, you know, and the, the X-T4, you know, that's not a problem, you know, because you've got glass coming all the way back behind your head. And so you've got really good visibility. And that's also good from the driver's seat, uh, you know, except for straight back, um, you know, which almost all modern cars have a problem looking straight back. You've got, uh, you know, pretty good visibility all the way around, which is, is always good for driving. Um, uh, but uh, you know, I did have some some niggles with um, mainly with the the NVH properties, the noise, vibration, and harshness of this thing. You know, because I I like the way it drives. You know, the the handling and and the ride quality is generally quite good. Um, you know, the the two liter turbo four cylinders got decent enough power. But um, you know, compared to you know, we've, we've talked a lot about Lincoln of late. You know, and their the whole quiet luxury theme, and you know the um, the sanctuary uh, interior, as they call it. And the X-T4 uh, is anything but a sanctuary interior. Um, the engine is kind of noisy, and it's not the greatest sounding engine. Uh, like I said, it makes plenty of power, but it doesn't sound that great doing it. Um, and 
uh, you know, one of the things that I complained about last fall when I drove it was on some roads, uh, the, you know, depending on the road texture, there was a lot of road noise that got transmitted into the cabin. And I experienced that again uh, during my week with the X-T4 here that, you know, on, on a lot of roads, there, there was a lot of noise being transmitted into the cabin, which, you know, for a, a luxury vehicle that cost, you know, over $50,000, it, it, it just didn't well, seem I right. Mean- you know, it starts at thirty five. What do you What do you want for thirty five thousand dollars? Do you want something quiet? I don't well, you know, I, I've driven a lot of other thirty five thousand dollar <laughs> vehicles that feel a lot quieter than this one. Uh, so I just I think that's unacceptable. I really do. Yeah, I, I, I do too. You know, at this price point, and and even at, even at the thirty five thousand dollar base price, you know, for what Cadillac's trying to be, you know, as a as a you know taken seriously as a premium brand. You know, and competing with, you know, the everybody from Lexus to Mercedes Benz and Audi, it you know they should they should do a little better with this. Um, so that that's probably my biggest complaint about this vehicle is the NVH. Um, you know, aside from that, you know the the interior uh, you know is is nice. You know, it's it doesn't feel quite. At, I don't think it feels quite as as premium. As what Lincoln's been doing lately? No, I mean, but it, honestly, but I'm looking at the gallery now. I mean, that that looks more like a. It, it kind of to me doesn't even look like a thirty five thousand dollar interior, and I'm sure that they've got the fancy trims on the website. Um, I, it, the, the the premium lux I had, you know, was probably was a little better than that, I think. But I or, was really disappointed. I mean, I haven't driven it yet, but. The, the day after we recorded the podcast, then on that Thursday, I spent all morning just going with a couple of friends from from the industry. And we went car to car and looking uh, I've, I'm looking at the picture that I took of the of the Cadillac, the X-T4 interior. And first of all, I think the fake carbon fiber was dizzying. That's only on the sport model. I, I had, mine had wood trim. Okay. It, did it look as drab in person as it does in pictures? Uh, I, you know, one of the things that we talked, I think we, I think you brought it up last week, Rebecca was, you know, being tired of the piano black. Yes. Look. And oh yeah. So the the XT4 does not have piano black. You know the black sur- the black plastic surfaces are a matte finish, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, I don't mind that. But it but it certainly I don't think it I don't think it looks as premium. And I, I'm not sure what the right finish is. You know what the best what the optimum look is to give it a premium feel, but without you know but but something that's not piano black. Right. Uh, so this but is it's, it's not this. This is what I found is that when I was comparing and contrasting uh, like the X-T4 with the Mercedes, for instance, um, the Mercedes GLC, which arguably is in the same segment, mm-hmm. I there was there were finishes to the Mercedes and um, there were little there were there would be like a tip like a button would have a tip of chrome at the end. The, um, the, the locks had a a tip of chrome at the end. There was just the, the Mercedes was just finished. Yeah. Uh, No, that's a valid point. Very, very light touches of, of trim that give it that, 
little that that feeling that they really thought about it. Exactly. Well, and I, I I think too, it's not just the the finish or you know the pop of chrome. It's the feel of the materials. You know, like um, are the knobs knurled? Uh, do right. you feel a, a flash line? You know, all of those little things and they're they're not cheap to do right so you I, know and, I get it. And, and in that respect you know i think the cadillac was fine you know that the parts were nicely finished they're, you know you didn't feel flash lines you know the knobs were knurled including the the big um center controller uh the rotary controller on the console which is the other thing that i have a complaint about with this car mm. um is um <laughs> this is the first cadillac to use a rotary controller ro- center rotary controller uh, you know, similar that at least looks similar to you know an iDrive or MMI or, or you know Mercedes uh, um, command controller, but the the thing the this one is more limited than those because you can rotate it and you can push it down to select, but it has no uh, like joystick jog dial function, so you can't toggle around around the screen around the 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 selection points on the screen with it other than through rotation. And so that limits some of the things you can do with it. The screen is also a touch screen, so you can, you know, you can touch the targets. But I prefer, if you're going to have a center a rotary controller like that, to make it fully functional. And, in fact, I talked to uh, the Cadillac folks at, at the, uh, the CT5 preview, and they said that um, this, the XT6 and the CT5, actually both uh, the rotary controllers they put in those do have that jog function, you know, so it, mm. it works like, a, like an iDrive does. Um, and the X-T4 will be getting an update, uh, pro- I'm guessing probably for the 21 model year, um, with, with a, an updated control, rotary controller for that. I just, I feel like with, with most of the GM interiors that the accountants get the last run through (laughs) you know the that there's just they just cut in places that it does make a difference Mm -hmm. and and regardless of how much this vehicle is it still is supposed to be a Cadillac and we've talked about this before that who are good stewards of the brand and Cadillac has not had a good steward of its brand in a while and I'm hoping that the team that's in place now will will be an advocate for Cadillac. It's Cadillac, for God's sakes, as we've talked about before. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, I'm looking at photos. I haven't seen one in person, but everything I see, it could – you could switch the badge out. It could be a Buick. It could be a GMC. And I know that – when you make cars at the scale that GM does, there's going to be some commonality. I get it. You know, it's expensive to make its own set of of switch gear for you know the transmission, you know, surround and and like the audio. Yeah, but I mean, look that, at the difference you know between a Ford and a Lincoln now. Yeah, there is not yeah, a single exactly. piece that's interchangeable. Exactly. Yeah, you, but you, you know what? It was interesting being in the Navigator because. Uh, I, and I, I don't. I won't talk about it that much this week because um, I, I also have a different car. But um, I so a I like the Expedition better, although the materials are not you know quite as good. You can you can still get a pretty premium Expedition um, with the uh, the platinum trim. And B, 
the the Lincoln it looks really good. It it presents well. Certainly, especially in pictures, it looks great. Um, some of the materials don't feel good. You know, like there's a lot of chrome that is vacuum deposited on plastic, and it feels cheap, like to the touch. So there again, there's that balance of how do you do that that stunning design for the cost, and and so I, I don't I don't know. I mean, the Cadillac has certainly used some of that Lincoln uh, swagger in its interior design. It doesn't these this this car does not look special to me. Yeah, yeah no, I I, agree. I I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, you know, I'll see. I guess the, the other the other thing that I would you know that is more of a general uh, GM complaint right now is just their, their, some of their decision, some of their choices in terms of the standard equipment they're putting on cars, you know, in an era when, you know, a lot of cars, you know, um, you know, a lot of very mainstream cars, Hondas and, and Nissans and Chevrolet or um, uh, uh, Toyotas and Hyundais and Kias are getting, you know, a lot of, um, driver assist features as standard equipment now, you know, things like automatic emergency braking, lane keeping assist, and in many cases, many of those cases, even adaptive cruise control as standard equipment, uh, you know, at prices, you know, less, well under half of what this vehicle costs. The fact that, you know, on the base uh, XT4, you know, so they have three trim, lo- three main trim levels. The luxury is the base, and then the, they have this Y strategy. You know, the premium, luxe, or sport as the two premium trims. On the the base luxury version, you can't even get those features. They're not even available to buy. You have That's to step insane. up to, to either the premium luxe or the um, the sport in order to get those kinds of, of active safety yeah, that's features. A, that's a weird place to trim five grand out of the budget. Cause that's, that's the difference is in premium luxury and sport yeah, are it's, 30, it's, it's, 39. Yeah. But it, I mean the, the cost to the manufacturer is not anywhere close to that. Well, well, that's what I'm saying It's like, they, they've marked it up sort of purely for profit. And I, I think if you went down the list, like you'd find the five grand that they've discounted it um, with the features they've taken out, but who really wants, who, you know, who really wants that $35,000 XT4, and if it's going to feel that stripped, it's not going to present well. You know, I, I'm I'm sure that their their plan is to sell more premium luxury and sport trims than anything else. Probably more premium luxury than anything else. And um, and, a, and, a, and a lot of those premium luxuries with the extra titanium package on top of that. Yeah, uh, it's just I, I don't know. I mean, I, I see your point. Like that's something that you could crow about. Like, hey, with standard features standard safety we're looking after you and isn't isn't there a level of simplification of production as well all cars yeah, get abso- this. absolutely yeah you know besides the fact that then you can crow about it you just you simplify your production it's, well. it's yeah it's yeah. it's becoming there's some frustrations with general motors because the competition i feel like i feel like in many ways on the product side the competition is really moving forward and gm is doing a lot of stuff right on the financial side uh, but i feel like on the product side there's there's just some opportunities that they are not keeping up with right so you know that that was $52,000 for that thing when I came back from New York, I picked up the uh, the 2019 Ford Edge uh, Titanium, uh, 
with, which was very nearly as expensive. It was $48,000. <laughs> wow. And, okay, so the Edge Titanium, though, like, it, it's, wait, what, it's what? It's a Ford. It's not oh. even a Lincoln. Yeah, but it's, there's not really anything you want for on that. And no, that's, that's got true. the EcoBoost V6, right? The, uh, no, the actually, actually um, the for 2019, you know, so they did a mid-cycle update uh, for the Edge this year, and only the ST is available with the with the Turbo V6, the EcoBoost oh. V6. All the I others, very much liked the S the ST. Yeah. That was that I liked that one a lot. <laughs> all, all the others have to make do with the the mere 250 horsepower two liter turbo, um, which you know, in comparison to you know. The essential, you know, the same basic configuration in the in the Cadillac seemed like a much more refined engine than than the one in the Cadillac. It, you know, certainly not as much of the the noise and the sound was transmitted into the cabin as you're driving around, and you know, it, it felt like a more pleasant place to be. And you know, the uh, you know the Edge, you know, for for 2019, you know, one of the things that they've changed, you know, as they're doing with all their uh, products as they update them this year. Is they're adding Ford's adding their Copilot 360 uh, driver assist package as standard equipment. So, um, you know, all, all that extra stuff that you pay more for on the Cadillac yeah. is included. It's, it's all saying? it's all included even on <laughs> on the base model. Uh, so you you don't you don't get uh, for the with the base uh, Copilot package you don't get the the radar and the adaptive cruise control, but you do get uh, uh, blind spot monitoring, the camera. Uh, for lane keeping and automatic emergency braking, uh, pre-collision assist, um, and uh, what else? Um, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of other features that I'm uh, blanking on stuff. at the moment. Yeah, you get stuff. a bunch of other stuff. And then if you get the <laughs> Copilot 360 Plus package, then you that that adds the radar for adaptive cruise control, and it also upgrades you from a basic lane keeping assist to a full-blown lane centering system. So it's, it's closer to a, a level two uh, partial automation system. So it's, it's very similar, very similar in functionality to uh, Nissan's ProPilot assist. And it actually does a pretty good job of, of actually holding the car in the center of the lane. You still have to hold the steering wheel, but it, it does a pretty good job of keeping it centered uh, without too much effort. That's cool. Yeah. I I think I used that on the ST that I had, and I I thought it worked um, pretty well. And I was actually really impressed with how quiet mm-hmm. they've made the Edge. Uh, I'm assuming that the the premium the trim is, the ti- is yeah the titanium is even more so. There's, yeah. there's even you know I mean you're going to get less of an exhaust note in the titanium than you will in the ST. Uh, you know it's not as quick, but it's it's quick enough. Uh, yeah, it's probably quick enough, yeah. Yeah, you know, 250 horsepower and I think 275 foot-pounds of torque. You know, it's got it's got plenty of performance. Um, you know, it's it's fairly roomy. Um, you know, it's 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 a fairly big vehicle too. Um, you know, for it, it a, is for a it's not, not exactly space efficient. No, um, but it's kind of big on the outside and. It's it's bigger it's de- on the inside it, than it used to be. Yeah, it's you know it's got decent. De- it's decently large on the inside. It's it's got enough room for five adults in there, uh, plenty of cargo space, and um, they. Uh, I'm trying to remember what uh, lost my train of thought now. Uh, oh, the the thing the thing I've always liked about the Edge, even even with the first generation, was just kind of its overall stance. You know, the the overall proportions of it, and they carried that through to the second generation, which is 
based on the the CD platform that they also used for the Fusion. Uh, and so, you know, it's got that kind of wide-shouldered stance, you know, it looks very stable on the road, um, you know, a little little sportier looking even even on the non-sporty versions. Uh, so I, I always I always kind of like that that approach that they took to the edge, you know, as compared to their other SUVs. Yeah. yeah. I, I also, you know, I liked how it went down the road. So I'm assuming with the Turbo 4, it takes it a little bit longer to wind up than it does with the, uh, the Turbo V6 that the ST had. But once you get there, it, it felt pretty impressively solid and well-disciplined um, with the, the body control and everything. So I was impressed with the edge. I think that they've, they've worked some magic on it, even though it's not the newest product. So, yeah, the, you know, the, the titanium is a little bit softer, uh, than the, than the ST and you know, it's got a little more roll, you know, it, going over bumps, you know, you can, it, it soaks them up nicely, but you can, you, when you're going around corners, you know, you can feel it, it's, it's still well controlled, but it's, it's not as buttoned down as something like an ST would be. Yeah. Well, uh, you know what? Let's stay with the crossover premium crossover note because, uh, Rebecca, you're also driving a vehicle sort of in the same class as, well, at least as the XT4, as the Cadillac. Um, you've, you've had the Lexus NX200? Uh, the NX300. NX300. Um, I'm F- Whoa, F- and it's the F Sport <laughs> edition. So okay. it's sort of the sportier version. Does um, it live up to the F Sport billing? You know, it's weird. It it does. Um, it's got a 2.0 liter uh, turbo 16 valve engine in it. It has a six speed automatic. And it was funny because when I was looking at the specs today, I I had it's they kind of buried it on the website. So I had my sister look at the paper that I'm looking at. I said, is that a six or an eight? Because I don't remember the last time I saw a six-speed automatic. Yeah, well, see, they're burying it on the website because they're not exactly proud of it. Exactly, but, right? I, I mean, it's probably not a big deal. Like, six speeds, it's, is, that's plenty. It's, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. I, I, I think I, it's I, the last Lexus with a six-speed. I think it's got to be, right? I mean, it's it's rare now. So I like the vehicle. I've dri- I feel like I've driven so many cars in the last couple of weeks. But the I was surprised that the brakes are not as responsive as I would have liked, especially since it's this sporty package. I, they just seem to travel and take a long time to engage. It was, and at first I thought, well, maybe it's because I've been driving some electric vehicles lately or hybrid, you know, with, with more aggressive regenerative braking. But I'm, I'm, I think that's the only thing that I'm just, I'm not that thrilled about with this vehicle. The NVH, is is quite good. I uh, it, it's a little bit to, there's a there's a little bit more tire noise than I was necessarily expecting, but overall I think it's a really nice vehicle. I like the seats a lot, and the to to, to your point, Dan, that, that there's not thirty different ways to set them, um, but there's enough so that you're quite comfortable. And they have this really fun. I love bolstered seats, and yeah. you know, today I was kind of going through some more aggressive twisties, and they definitely felt like they were, you know, um providing the right amount of cushion and support for me. So I actually, I drove this to the airport to pick up my, um, my sister, brother-in-law 
and my niece. And they're the same group that I drove to the airport. You dropped them off. Yeah. I dropped them off <laughs> in the Nissan Murano. And I picked them up in the in the Lexus. And it's so funny because I always have to send p- people pictures. I'm like, I'm going to be in this car today, you know. Right. <laughs> but so two things of note. I the the NX, even though it's a little bit smaller than the Murano, it just absorbed the, the luggage in with equal elegance. So there was plenty of room in the back for um, we had three carry ons and one checked bag and didn't have any problem putting them in uh, same thing passengers but my my brother-in-law commented he said that the the suspension was much stiffer on the nx which i agree with him on that there there's this is set up in a more sporty way but i quite liked it i mean it, it's it's been fun to drive i've enjoyed it um i have not enjoyed the um what do they call the HMI, the inform, the touchpad? I have not had good luck with that touchpad. And and I don't know if you guys have have had this, but it's not giving me haptic feedback. It's not giving me the types of so that I would expect. You can um you can turn the haptic feedback on and off. And, and I'm also driving a Lexus with that touchpad this week, okay. which we'll get to. Um, I also don't really like it. Uh, I, I it, For some of the same reasons, it's just really, it's obtuse. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, the, the, I had to go through, I had to spend a good 20 minutes sitting there like poking at it. Yeah. Um, trying to figure out like, I don't mind the haptic feedback when you touch it. Right. I don't want it to make a noise every time I brush it. No, exactly. (laughs) Shut that off. Well, and of course I, Uh, I have an Android and it doesn't support Android auto. So I haven't really been able to play around with it very much. Yeah, that's true. It, it does. It integrates phones. Okay. Um, Yeah. They, they just, they just recently started adding support for uh, CarPlay. Yeah, um, Toyota. It might one, be better uh, with CarPlay. Like, I think it's probably better than Entune. Uh huh. Is to use CarPlay yeah. and the touchpad. I don't know. But, Have you tried that, Sam? Um, I I've tried CarPlay. I haven't tried it in uh, in a Lexus yet. Um, I I will. I'll be getting a, a Lexus UX in a few weeks, mm. and so I'll try it out in that. Uh, but they they will. They they are they did they did recently announce plans to eventually bring Android Auto to their vehicles as well, but but not yet. Okay, not yet. I you know I like the NX a lot for smaller households. The RX is so ubiquitous and very much of kind of a mom a mommy mobile. So I like this size. the The UX is great too, but it's it's almost a little too small in some ways. This NX is sort of like the Goldilocks of like you know, of, of their crossovers. It's just, it's sort of this, I like the size. I like the fact that it can stretch to accommodate four to five people and some stuff very comfortably, uh, but doesn't feel big. Like I don't feel like I'm driving a family car around. I feel like I'm driving a size appropriate vehicle. So this one goes, this one starts at 40,025, um, which is a little bit more, I think the base 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 NX is uh, third in the thirty sixes. Yeah, I think it's like thirty six. Yeah, right? and then uh, the one I have has the navigation system, which gives you um, the, this Lexus Inform app suite, and then it has um, Park Assist, that rear door with kick sensor, 
Uh, and then the premium sport pack that actually comes with heated and cooled seats, which were really, really nice. Uh, it has a moon roof and then it has the blind spot monitoring with cross traffic alert, which to what we talked about a few minutes ago, I really think should be standard. I don't think it should be part of a $2,865 package um, on. Uh, yes, on some of this stuff, I just think, you know, I don't know that I would spring for this um, package, even though it has some really nice features in it. But that's a lot of money to add to this vehicle. So, yeah, I know that when I was buying, I didn't spring. I was like, no, I don't need that. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> I have mirrors. Right. So, yeah, well, you know, but um, there are times when mirrors don't help. Like, you know, when you're backing out of a parking space in a, in a parking lot or a garage, you know, the, the mirrors will show you what's right behind you. But it wasn't it won't show you what's coming down the aisle. And that's right. where yeah. that's where the, the cross traffic alert can really be a huge benefit. I, I, no, I, I agree. I, I think that it's definitely beneficial. Um, it's just for the money. I, I'm a cheapskate sometimes. Yeah, but the, I agree. I think I think cross traffic alert. I had somebody I think I said this last time I had somebody contact me on the web on my website. And I, one of the things I said was I what was the name of that site. RebeccaDrives.com. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I'll give you a drink later. And, but, you know, they. I said how I think that rear cross-traffic alert is really important. But so anyway, so the whole car comes out at, at with the $1,000 destination, $49,348, which is, you know, we, we toss these numbers around. It's just incredible how expensive some of these vehicles are for that you know, five passenger size. But yeah, but you can get like a 96 month loan. It's 96 months. <laughs> I think they're only doing the 96 month loans in Canada. I think in the US yeah. it's still only 84 right. months. Right. Well, those are metric if, months. If I, if, I recall, if I recall your last presentation at, uh, when you were still with Cox, Rebecca, I, th- I think that was what you guys said. Oh, that's uh, funny. <laughs> but it's, it's true. Um, they, this, everything's expensive now. And, you know, for the, I, we were discussing this a little bit earlier in Slack is size is sometimes used as shorthand for price or value. And that's not necessarily the best metric because sometimes the smaller cars are still just as premium and you're, you're paying sort of for that miniaturization i guess yes. so you just yeah no you know, like- i i don't disagree but i think you know the problem that we're that we're running into we're starting to you know see a real issue of affordability in general yeah. you know regardless of what kind of vehicle you're talking about oh yeah you know i mean that you know we'll, we'll talk about it next week but you know this morning i i got the ford ranger and you know that's a the one in my driveway is a $42,000 truck you know and that's that just seems like a lot of money for a ranger. Yeah. Well, there is a um, – I, I have this feeling, just a gut feeling because I haven't actually taken the time to look at any real numbers. But I have this feeling that there is a looming auto loan crisis uh, if we're not careful. You know, it's interesting because I was reading um, on the Ford earnings and they're actually seeing very little in delinquencies. It's, well, that's good. Yeah, no, it is. It is very good. But I mean, it's you know the credit standards did, did are, they, are pretty strict. Did did they? Was there any mention of you know what the average uh, loan terms are though? No, but I was just reading a summary. Okay, 
Because I mean, I took it. I took advantage of the fact that they will give you, you know, X amount of years on you know having a pulse, and I was like, let's stretch that thing out, man. <laughs> Just I know I'm going to pay more in interest. That's fine. Uh, it because it keeps that monthly payment down, and that's the whole point of the longer terms that they're giving people. But that's the danger too, right? Well, is, and that, and that's you know that's the way you know increase you know over the last decade or two, you know, people often shop for cars. They don't, they don't look at the sticker price. They look at what is their monthly payment, you know, and, you know, whether they're buying or leasing, you know, that's the factor that, you know, that's going to determine whether they drive off with a new vehicle or not. Yeah. But back to the NX, I think it's a lovely size. I think it's the perfect size. Um, I'm really interested in your take that, uh, you know, the RX feels too big. You know, because for me, the RX is probably the most underwhelming Lexus that I've driven. Well, it's too big for a single person or a small household. That makes sense. It's totally appropriate for somebody with, you know, one or two kids and certainly pets and stuff. So I'm just thinking of of smaller households is where I like the, the NX and the UX is fine if, you know, I think if you have other cars, but I really like, I like the size of the NX a lot. And I like the design of the NX too. I yes. think you know. I think it's it's a it's a nice interpretation. I think I think it's a better interpretation of you know Lexus's style mm. than the RX. You know, I always thought the RX looked kind of awkward yes. in its current form. And yeah, no, this one looks a lot better. I agree. I think I think they did. They've done a really nice, solid job. I you know I was thinking though the, I mean Lexus in many ways is you know an older brand now. Um, and I just I would have a lot of concerns about an older buyer trying to figure out that end tune thing because or M is that what it is? No, that's not right. End tune, end form, form. end form, end form, end form, end tune is Toyota. Yeah, is, is the Toyota one is um, end form. I I would have concerns about them being distracted by it, trying to figure it out. Uh, it didn't have great voice recognition either, so that was a little bit of an issue. I it was terrible trying to just tune the radio. You know, it was just uh, you know. So that's a question actually. Um, I guess I should just look at it in pictures. How how is the like tuning set? Does it have that like dual concentric volume and tuning knob together, or is it two different controls? I have to look and see. I don't remember. I because I try I yeah. try and do as much by voice as possible. Uh, oh, I see. And you know to see how that works. And it just I I had a real issue with it. I'm just looking now at it. Uh, yeah, it looks a little different. It looks like it actually has two knobs. Yeah, I think it does. I think, but you know, again, like when we jump in these and then start driving, it's always kind of trying to figure out, okay, what's, you know, is this easy or not? Um, yeah. And then I also get frustrated when they don't have the Sirius XM, you know, when, when, cause I use that a lot. Uh, and so, you know, like last night, I was, um, I was, driving someplace and I was about to go on and report on Tesla earnings and I needed to listen to stuff and I couldn't listen to it because it was on like Bloomberg radio or something and they didn't have that. Uh, but, but, you know, I just, I think, I think that people, whenever you pick up a car, a new car, you have to spend that 20 minutes that you referred to down getting to know this and, and getting to know the system because they're, they think they're intuitive, but they're just, not 
Did you use any of the apps from the App Suite? You know, because it has like Slacker and NPR One and other. You can you can add apps to it. Did you did, try any of that out? I did not, uh, in part because I knew it didn't work with Android, <laughs> and so yeah. I didn't bother trying them. You know, I'm certainly not one that goes really in depth with the HMI. I just try and get it to do the most basic things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I think you're right. Like we, uh, Russell from Volvo, Russell Dats yes. from, from Volvo always tells me, you know, like you guys, you car, car writers, you're the only people that complain so much about the HMI. <laughs> I don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> I do. Not I can see his that. point. I, I, I can see his point because a, we're not buying the cars. So we're not, trying to like make ourselves comfortable with the fact that we just spent money on this shit, but also um, we have such a short time with the cars Mm. that uh, our initial, and we're vocal. So our initial impressions are like, I can't figure this thing out. And so I'm going to be cranky about it versus an owner who will spend some time in surprise and delight or never spend any time. But I don't think (laughs) that it's unreasonable to expect the car to very quickly and very intuitively use voice control, which is why I try and use voice control because it's a consistent metric for me. You know, there's, I want it to be able to call family members, you know, call mom should not be an exotic request. (laughs) Dialing 911. No, no. I mean, you know, so I think that there's just certain things uh, that a vehicle should be capable of doing. Tune to ESPN, you know, or or, or AM 880, which is our local weather and traffic here. Uh, You know, there's... WCBS. There's just, exactly, you know, there's just certain things that... I feel like the vehicle, the the HMI should do, regardless of the touch screens, regardless of the touch pads, any of that. And again, that's why I, I really like to use voice control, which arguably is is supposed to be safer as well. But so the other so the other vehicle that I've had um this week is the Well, it's it's only safer if it doesn't make you more frustrated. Well, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, you're not poking, you're not jabbing your finger at the screen and swearing. You're just swearing. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so, um, for time's sake, I wanted to tell you really quickly about the um, the BMW i3 uh, electric vehicle that I had with the range extender. Have you guys driven this thing? I have. Okay, so I've, I've driven I have the not, i3 a couple of times. <laughs> so this, it's tr- it's truly an exotic car. <laughs> so this is my first experience in it, and. And I picked it up in New York. I didn't have any information about it. And I and I get in it and it has 68 miles of range and I have a 42 mile drive. And I'm thinking, okay, that should be fine as long as I don't run into a lot of traffic and and such. Um, And then as I'm going, I realize that, okay, it has the range extender. I'm fine. So. I get home, you know, with no problems. And it was actually pretty fun to drive. It's pretty entertaining. Uh, but then, you know, and, and then I decided to charge it. So the way that my charge, my plug, now I will say, I love the fact that it can just go into a standard plug. So my plug is right at the edge of my garage. And I've, all the other electric vehicles that I've driven, the charge port is at the front of the vehicle. So when you pull in, it's right there. 
But the I3 is in the back rear quarter panel of the passenger side, like where the where a gas tank might be. And the plug, the, the, the cord length is the length of the car. Well, you know, it's like when you have a toaster, right? <laughs> when you buy a toaster, they give you this like three inch plug because yeah. they, they don't want you to actually like plug it in and then drop it in the sink. Okay. Or something. I feel like that's it. Like, now we don't want you guys getting in trouble with the car. You get this cord and that's it. So my option was to back up, which is quite dangerous in my driveway because it's a steep driveway and I do everything I can to not back up. And so I decided I, I had, I used one of my landscaping plugs. So I pulled down to the lower part. I have a lower driveway and I had, but even there I had to basically, it's about a a half a foot away from my, my walkway uh, where to get the plug and the plug, the cord that ended up being all buried in the ground, like laying on the ground. So it's basically sitting in the sink. So it just, I was shocked and appalled at how short the plug was considering where the port is it just it just doesn't make any sense to me the gas tank is in the front in the front quarter panel but the port is in the back quarter panel so charging it was just an enormous issue for me and really really a pain it was raining i'm now you know nowhere near my house i'm you know 50 75 feet away and had to walk through the rain to and from the car and it just wasn't a pleasant experience charging this thing so that was my that was my one gripe with it. And then the other thing I did was I drove it. I decided to take it. I had to go up to a meeting in um, about I think it's about 70, almost 80 miles each way. So I knew I wasn't going to make it on electric. I didn't recharge it the, the night before because it really was pouring rain. So I left with about 40 miles of range and the range extender which gave me another 70 miles so i i i lose battery or i use the battery up fairly quickly and the first time that the two-cylinder engine came on i wasn't sure if it was a landscaping mower lawnmower (laughs) or if it was a motorcycle engine so I, so I'm, I'm literally, I'm on the phone with my sister and I, and I'm on uh, the Merritt Parkway and then I'm getting onto route eight, another, another, you know, two lane highway. And I said, I said, Wendy, I just hold on one second. I had to roll down my window because I really wasn't sure if they were doing, if they were mowing or if it was me. And unfortunately it was me. <laughs> and this two cylinder you know- engine was awful. You know, all it really needs are a couple of straight pipes like a Harley, and it'll just like you can idle like potato, potato, potato. It'll be fine. Well, I mean, it, it, it literally is an R series motorcycle engine. Yeah. It, oh. oh, it's the R series. So it's, it's the flat twin. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a flat twin because that, that's that's the easiest one. That was the easiest one for them oh, to package my, in there. Well, so so I end up I end up having to stop for gas because I was down to about thirty miles. And I just don't know this car. You know, I don't really know what that means. And I've got a good 15 more miles to go. So I end up stopping for gas and it takes like 0.75 gallons. <laughs> and so, and I get to the restaurant 
have a very nice lunch. And as I'm driving back, I get down to 15, I think between 12 and 15 miles and left. And I stop for gas again <laughs> and fill it up. This time it takes with like another the, point seven with, the, with like one the range, and a half. The range now. extender system really <laughs> is intended literally as as an emergency thing. Uh, it's it's not yes. intended for. It's not like the like the volt. Yes, you know where exactly. it's you know part of the primary powertrain. It's literally a backup. And now that they actually have the larger forty kilowatt hour battery pack available, um, they they have stopped offering the range extender as an option. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know because Boy, you would have been stuck. Well, I well, so, you know, when I wrote my my review, I said, you know, as somebody who's owned 3 BMWs and a Mini, the ultimate driving machine, this is not. <laughs> I mean, it was Well, you just... know, so what's interesting about the i3, I think is the the so the concept and the execution. Um because it's all of BMW's expertise and prowess applied differently like if you look at the way the i3 is built and the details yes. of it that's a that oh. is an exotic car yes the interior is gorgeous the houndstooth there's the houndstooth seats are amazing it has this beautiful matte finish wood that's very swedish looking you know bright cute bright blue seat belts the suicide doors or the coach doors whatever they call them those were not ideal because i parked And there was somebody parked on either side of me and then you can't really access them. Like you have to, you can't load the car easily if you're in a traditional parking space, but there's, but there's so much to like about the car. I mean, I I think it's a beautiful interior, very intuitive. It was comfortable. The seats were nice. The voice recognition, all that stuff worked great. I didn't have any issues with that at all. It's just that. It's not a pleasant, it's not a, it's not an easy car to live with unless you live in a very specific environment where you have a charging station that's right there at your disposal and you never have to park between two cars. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the, the, the thing about the, you know, the i3, when it was originally conceived, you know, the, the whole BMW i project was originally BMW's megacity project. You know, it was, it was BMW taking a look at, you know, as, as the world was getting more urbanized and we're getting these huge megacities of greater than 10 million population, they were, they were trying to think about what kind of transportation do you need? What kind of cars do you need in, in that kind of environment? You know, and, you know, so they came up with a, a number of ideas, you know, it needs to be electric, you know, so that you minimize energy use and and emissions. And it, it also needs to have a small physical footprint on the road so that it's not taking up the kind of space that a 7 Series would take up. You know, and they didn't want to do something as tiny as the, the Smart. You know, and they came up with this with the i3 as, you know, the, the original concept. I don't know if you remember, Rebecca, back around 2010 or so. Yeah, you know, the original concept was actually called the Mega City concept. Yes, and that evolved into the i th- into the production i three. Right. Uh, you know, and so you know, it's got things like a, a carbon fiber structure, uh, which is yeah. unique at this price point. You know, um, aside from aside from the i three and the uh, the i eight, you know, the the only you know the other cars with carbon fiber. You know, when they came when this came out, 
you know, or things like, you know, McLarens and, and yeah. you know, uh, exotic cars. So, you know, they did a lot of really neat things with this vehicle to, to try to achieve those goals. And, you know, it's probably going to be just a one generation vehicle. I don't think that they're going to do a direct replacement for the i3. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, things that they learned from this project, BMW is translating into other vehicles, you know, into their plug-in hybrid mainstream models and, you know, into their future electric vehicles. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of cool stuff about it. Uh, it's just the, you know, the livability of it was was tough. The pricing on it also, I mean, this one is 51500 And then once you add in Giga World Tech Driving Assist Package and a couple of other niceties, you're up to 58695 And I, I think there's better choices. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, hey. It is still a BMW. It, it is. It is still a so. BMW. It's just, I think there's better BMW choices as well. Well, you know, I think the way, the way it, it let you down, um, sort of shows how maybe it's not being sold properly or, or maybe it's just because well, it, it was, it was de- it's designed for a different use case than what Rebecca right. was using it for. Well, but right, I, but I, I, you know, I, I think that that's a misunderstanding that maybe the buying public is going to have too. Yeah, but I mean, but you know, the fact that I could not go, I mean, that I that this this round, you know, seventy miles away is I just don't think is very far. I went for lunch, you know, and seventy miles and one hundred and forty or one hundred and fifty mile round trip to was was a that's a hell of a lunch yeah, well, <laughs> but, but it, it was a you know i i don't i didn't think that i thought that was a good test i thought it was a good reasonable test it wouldn't be something i would do every day but it would i thought it would be a good reason you know that that every once in a while where you may have to have to go a little bit further and it just, you know, it, it may not have been the case that they designed it for. And certainly the, the, the Volt, God rest its soul, was a lot better. And, but, you know, I just, again, I, I think that there's, these are things that I do think that the general public does need to be aware of, that this is not a car that you're going to be able to use in, alt, in a number of, of situations. You know, no, that, yeah. that's that's absolutely true. And, you know, I think if you if you think of it, you know, as a car, you know, if you're driving around, you know, if you live in Munich and you're you're commuting around Munich. Yeah. You know, and then if you need to go to to Stuttgart, you know, or to Ingolstadt or to Frankfurt, well, you, you, you hop you, on you, Das train. You, yeah. Exactly. You hop <laughs> yeah. on you hop on right. the train to make right. that trip. You, you leave the, the I-3 behind. Right. And you hop on the train You know, here in the U.S., you know. It's it's a less ideal application for that kind of for that kind of vehicle. Exactly. I mean, I would love this car in California. You know, if you're if you're on the 405 and you get the green and you get the the high occupancy vehicle lane sticker and you're going back and forth to a place where you can charge it back up again, because, Sam, you're absolutely right. That engine is is was for emergency purposes only. And that became very clear as I, you know, the, the more that I had to use that to run on, uh, it was very clear that this was not 
how the vehicle was designed, not the purpose of the vehicle. Um, but again, if it was something that I didn't think was should not have been out of the bounds of comfort of this car. And it definitely was. You know, that kind of trip definitely was. So it was a good test. I mean, I was thrilled to be able to use it. It's still a looker. You know, people still look and turn around and and want to see it. And, you know, I actually really liked the front and rear hinge doors uh, for loading and unloading. Unless you're parked between two cars, then it became very difficult. But, you know, there was a lot of positives about it. And again, the interior was fabulous. It's just that I think that when it comes to electric vehicles, the technology is getting so much better so quickly that the i3 is pretty old at this point. Yeah, well, you know, some of that stuff has to has to actually, I think, age for a little bit longer than the normal uh, car model cycle. You know, the i3 was such a fresh and different idea and different mm-hmm. execution that it it's still relevant on the market, I think. Yes, it's just for you have to you do have to have a very specific driving plan for it. Yeah. <laughs> as as was the case with a lot of the the first generation of these modern EVs, you know, where they were shorter range, you you know, you had before buying one, you need to make sure that it fit your lifestyle you right. know, because it's, it's not a vehicle for everybody. Right. Exactly. You know, now, as we're getting into these longer range EVs, you know, with 200 to 250 miles of range, that's far less of an issue. And, and also, you know, since charging infrastructure is becoming more and more readily available, especially DC fast charging, you know, becoming more available, you know, it's, it's less of an issue for people. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So, you know, again, I, I was thrilled to be able to drive it and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm, I, but it's, it was just, you know, it's, it has a limited use to it. So what, what, what did you think of the, uh, the braking characteristics with the, the strong regen? I didn't have any issue with it at all. I got, I got used to it very quickly. I did a lot of one of, you know, one foot braking and and coasting and stuff. So I, I didn't, I, I thought it was pretty good actually. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I like it too. It, it's something, you know, the first time I drove, you know, the original mini E, mm. uh, you know, that was the first time I drove something that had that really strong regen like that. And I've always really liked that, uh, EVs that, that have that kind of behavior. Yeah, I do too. I will say that one of the unique parts about the Audi e-tron is that it doesn't have that significant, uh, you won't get that sudden kind of it's almost like the car takes a deep breath, you know, and you're not going to have that. Uh, so I think that they're starting to get away from that because people are not comfortable with it. But I think once you get used to it and it doesn't take you by surprise, uh, I think it's it's pretty cool. So, yeah, I got used to the braking very, very quickly. As I said, I picked it up in Manhattan and immediately got it onto the West Side Highway and I, you know, was in some some moderate stop and go traffic, but it was um, I, I quickly got used to driving it, which was nice. You know, there it was it was a car that that you can get used to very quickly. Didn't have any issues with the HMI at all. Um, you know, it worked very easily for me. Voice recognition was good. Uh, again, there were there were a lot of things that I really, really liked about it. It just the the charging situation was really was um, again, something that 
you have to be very cognizant of when you're when you're looking at this vehicle. Where are you going to charge it? How are you charging it? Um, you can't necessarily, you know, my setup here at home was not ideal, but mostly because of the length of the plug. And I assume that you're able to buy, you know, a longer plug, I would hope. But, you know, again, it's just do you does this fit your lifestyle? And you need to make that evaluation before you buy well, it. You know, it's a city car for city dwellers, I think, uh, first and foremost. Um, but where do and, city people plug it in? Well, that's what I was going to say. If you live <laughs> that, in an apartment or a condo, you know, our garages. There's the fundamental problem. Yes. Right. Our garages don't necessarily have that that common charging that you, you may find in European cities that have adopted it uh, more. You know, they've embraced it. Right. Um, you know, so it, there's still infrastructure challenges to it. Uh, I'm uh, – I'm, I'm pleased that the range extender uh, worked for more than its emergency. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's like I, a space I, saver spare tire. Yes, yeah. yes. Exactly. Oh, you can torture those things. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, Dan, um, what are you driving this week? Yeah. So this week I have a Lexus ES350. Oh, we don't need to talk about nice. the Navigator. I had that okay, uh, yes. a while ago, and I. Um, I, and I you already got in seats. your complaints about the seats. So. Yeah, so I'm good. Uh, we can move on. Uh, so, yeah, I have an ES350. It's not the F-Sport. It's just a sort of, uh, I guess, it's, it's not the base trim because it's about $60,000. But, uh, y- you know, this is the first year for this new ES350. It's uh, moved to the, uh, I think, Global Architecture K platform, which is a, a new platform that the I think the Avalon is also on, if I'm and that I think is, Correct. is a derivative of TNGA. Yeah, it it feels like it from behind the wheel because it's so good to drive, and that's what I guess my biggest impression of the ES three fifty is: is this car, this model has always been sleepy and dull, and just you know, it's it's the it's the the Buick of the Lexus lineup. And I, I say, I don't say that to say that Buicks are bad, but you know, it's like, it's the car you graduate to when you have retired and <laughs> you don't want any problems. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a luxury car that it's, it's a luxury Camry and now it's a luxury Avalon, but, uh, it's th- this, it, uh, generation, which is, is all new, uh, really, really surprised me because it's fantastic to drive. And from a, uh, you know, an enthusiast perspective, it feels really good. Um, it has this, it made me think of the idea of like comprehensive excellence where some cars have great powertrains, some cars handle really well, but they don't ride well. Uh, this ES has sort of all of that. It's it rides really well. It, it handles well. It has you know sport and eco modes. You can change the character of how it behaves. Uh, it the interior materials are really good. I really like the design of all of the ergonomics. Um, I love the exterior design. It has a, a slightly smaller version of the Lexus like murder grill which is nice. <laughs> um, you know, it's just a, it's a really, really comprehensive update that feels very good from behind the wheel. It's luxurious. It even smells good inside the leather that <laughs> they make a big deal about their semi aniline leather. Right. Um, I don't, uh, you know, which all that means is that it has dye through most of the layers versus only being dyed on the top. 
but you know, it's just a, it's a really, really good car. And I feel like in the mid fifties, uh, or, you know, slightly under $60,000, it actually feels like it's very reasonably priced. It's got the 3.5 liter V6 that is muscular. So that's, that is a great engine. Um, it, it is very comfortable going down the road. This one has um, the the radar cruise control, and even that's pretty good. It gets a little bit you know touchy in stop and go. Uh, it it jams on the brakes a little harder than I would prefer. But uh, no, it's just it's beautifully finished. It looks good. It it feels good to drive. Even the, down to like the steering effort, the amount of torque you have to put in, it just you know it feels feels real good to drive and you know some of that is they they made changes specific changes to make it feel better from behind the wheel they gave it more caster angle which is one of the tricks that bmw uh does is their cars have more caster angle which is uh the the the, um the struts if you have like a strut front end uh are the caster is the angle that they lay backward at so the more caster angle you have, the more it wants to center and just sort of lock on to straight ahead. It feels really good. They added a couple of degrees there. It's longer, lower, wider. So it's a very fifties kind of thing. <laughs> um, but it really, it does, it, it pays off. It feels very good to drive. Uh, it's maybe a little bit nervous at the, the handling limits. Like if you try to push it, it's going to feel a little floaty. Um, even on higher performance tires, this one says it has, uh, it has a sticker on the window that says like, Hey, you're probably only going to get about 20,000 miles out of these tires. Uh, it doesn't, I, I feel like they made a poor choice cause the tires don't feel like high performance tires. Um, and I don't, I'm, I don't know. I didn't take note of what they actually are, but, uh, y- you know, it could, it could do with a set of pilot sports. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, I, there are, there's nothing to complain about here other than Entune, which is garbage, yeah. especially with that, that touch pad yeah. thing. Like, no, <laughs> get that out of the car. So like, uh, what do you think some of the biggest differences are in terms of what they did to make this so much better than previous versions? I think that the structure is a lot more rigid. Okay. Uh, it, it, which lets them tune that suspension mm. so that it, it has uh, more more control. It can be more more supple. Uh, you know, Toyota always plays this game of how how few spot welds and pieces of structure can we put in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, a couple of Camrys ago, I think they figured out like, hey, we need to add a few more welds <laughs> to to it in a few places, and that you know paid dividends it stiffened the car up a bit and i think this is the same case where uh they've moved to a newer architecture that they're they're trying to move all of their cars to this is i think this i think sam's right i think this is just a bigger version of the tnga platform which is in the rav4 it's the i mean i think they're even moving they will be moving the corolla to it if it hasn't yet i think the, Um, the new corolla i think is already on tnga Right, and you're seeing raves about that too. Any any TNGA car, the Prius is on it mm-hmm. now. Um, any any one of those that I've driven, I've been very impressed by. And the older platforms are just not they're, they're they they don't have that sort of feeling to them. They just they feel like a you know a spreadsheet car. Like we went down and we checked all the boxes, and it it has all the things. It met all of its program objectives. It's a car. <laughs> versus you know the uh the this new 
generation of Toyotas that feels like it has some soul to it, uh, which was always the complaint about the ES. Was sure. it, it feels soulless, and this is a, this is a gold Lexus ES. <laughs> like it doesn't get more stereotypical than that. It just it's a really really nice car. They've upped their game with the materials inside. Uh, you know, the ES and the RX have always been somewhat underwhelming in the the materials that they've mm. used. Um, it, it's better. It has bamboo wood, real metal. Uh, leather's very nice. The the design and layout is is nice. Um, I, I think making it a little larger because it's it's not Camry size now. It's Avalon size, so there's a a, a larger back seat and a larger trunk uh, that stretches out the wheelbase a little bit and makes it. They they have also you know made the wheelbase longer, which pays dividends in how it rides and handles too. So it's just I, I think it's the right car for for their buyer and even uh, an enthusiast driver like myself i fancy myself an enthusiast um can be satisfied by it and that that's something that the the earlier versions didn't do cool no it sounds i mean it sounds <laughs> great it's it's i'm glad to hear lexus is getting a little bit more mojo in in you know their performance and the and the experience in the vehicle yeah i you know i hope you guys get to get in it soon and we can compare notes i i didn't drive the hybrid. So that's something that I'm curious to try. Uh, a lot of the Lexuses I get to drive are the hybrid mm. versions. And I, I feel like that powertrain dings the experience a little mm. bit because it's, it's still, you feel it flopping around, starting up, shutting off. It has some of that funky reaction to the, the, you know, your, to the accelerator. It, it just, it, it's a four cylinder versus the six. So the NVH is different. Um, you know, the three ES three fifty with the V six is stellar. <laughs> it's it's just very good. Um and that feels like the weirdest thing ever to say. So <laughs> let's just let's just carry on. Let's hit some topics. We've talked about cars a lot. Uh or the cars we're driving a lot. Um so the first story on our list here is uh Ford and Rivian managed to do what GM and Rivian couldn't do. And so they're gonna they're gonna tie up. Uh, and make some some trucks or some yeah, so, cars so, or something. Sam, you had an interesting perspective on this where General Motors had been in the running. Yeah, uh, General GM was in talks to invest in Rivian at the same time that uh, Amazon made their investment uh, about a month or so ago. And GM walked away from the deal. Um, from what I've heard from uh, from a couple of sources, apparently – GM basically wanted to make it more of an exclusive arrangement uh, with with Rivian. They you know they didn't want Rivian to continue offering their platform to other companies, mm. and so GM walked away from that deal. And apparently, as soon as the GM talks broke down, Ford apparently stepped right in and and they got this deal done fairly quickly in just a few weeks. And they're investing $500 million into Rivian. And also, um, they're going to uh, use the Rivian skateboard platform for a future uh, Ford electric vehicle. Um, they haven't said what that vehicle is going to be, only that it's not going to be the F-150 because they're already, they've already got an electric F-150 in development mm-hmm. that's coming out in a couple of years and probably in 2021 or 22. Um and so this is going to be something different. My guess is that it will probably be 
uh, a next generation um, electric transit um, or uh, possibly even maybe for the next generation of their um, their autonomous vehicle platform that they're developing. Their first generation AV is going to be using a hybrid powertrain, uh, but yeah, they they could very well switch to electric. But that's that's probably going to be a little further out. So something like a, uh, an electric transit would probably be their the the most likely choice um, for their first vehicle with Rivian. And maybe even, uh, you know, you've got the possibility of, you know, Ford building, um, you know, Amazon's next generation delivery vehicles based on the Rivian platform. You know, Ford develops the the rest of the vehicle uh, with Amazon um, and, you know, uses the Rivian platform to uh, to support it. Yeah. So I have a, a remedial question. Rivian's been around for 10 years. Where have they been? <laughs> They've been hiding. They they pivoted a couple of times. You know, their original plan was actually you know doing um, high efficiency gas engine uh, vehicles. You know, like city cars. Oh, and they ultimately pivoted and and ended up you know with the idea of doing electric trucks, uh, pickup trucks, and SUVs. Uh, and that they got to that point about three year, two or three years ago. Um, and you know, got into the development of this vehicle that that they first showed off at the LA Auto Show in November, right? And then they had it in New York last week as well. the The R one T, which is the pickup truck, right? And the R one S SUV. Um, and you know, they've developed you know all their all their own stuff for that. Uh, you know, their own platform. Um, I'm not sure who they're using for battery cells yet, mm. but. Um, their propulsion system, everything else is all developed in house. Right, and they bought the Mitsubishi plant in Normal, Illinois. So they right, have a which place. they probably got for basically nothing. Yeah, I think it was yeah. sixteen million, which is basically nothing. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, I just have to kick it. Yeah, out. exactly. Um, they've made a lot of really smart moves. Uh, you know, staying in stealth mode until they were ready to show pretty well developed vehicles. Like I think they actually introduced the trucks at um the show later than they wanted to be introducing anything uh but they they did that sort of so that they're not another vaporware company you know they they waited until they had uh funding right what i forget exactly what they were actually they, they had some funding um you know when they showed off the truck in november but not a lot you know certainly not enough to actually get them to production uh, you know, and it was after they publicly showed their vehicles that, you know, they started getting into some serious talks with new investors. And that's when, you know, Amazon stepped in yeah. and then now Ford uh, as as big investors. So between those two, those, these two most recent rounds, they've raised $1.2 billion, which should be more than enough to finish the development on, on the R1T and the R1S and, uh, you know, get the plant tooled up to, to start production. And, you know, I think the, there's, there's a number of advantages that both Rivian and Ford, you know, get out of this deal, you know, for Rivian, you know, having Ford and potentially others use their skateboard platform, you know, the, the most expensive part of an electric vehicle is that platform, you know, with the battery, the motors, the power electronics, you know, those, that's, that's the single biggest cost in there. And if you can start to get scale from that, 
you know, start start to scale up the volumes, you can drive the cost down, and you can also spread the R and D cost over more vehicles. So, you know, to have Ford step in and say, "Yeah, we'll use this platform uh, for for an upcoming vehicle," you know, that helps Rivian because you know now you know instead of producing maybe you know let's say. 30 or 40,000 vehicles, you know, in the first couple of years, you know, now they're potentially looking at a hundred or 200,000 of these platforms that might get built and and sold, um, you know, and, and spread and same thing, you know, with, with Amazon coming in. So they, they get, you know, a lot more volume and that, that drives down both the cost, both for them to use that platform for their, or their own vehicles, as well as for all their partners. And then, you know, for Ford, uh, you know, same thing, you know, it allows them to, you know, kind of hedge their bets a little bit on, you know, which EV platforms they want to use or which EV technology they want to use, you know, so now they, and, and to not have to pay the full expense of developing that platform. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a couple of interesting details to the whole deal. Uh, first is that you know, with Joe Henrich. Henrich, 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 yeah, you you know all these people. I'm just I'm, I read their names and try to pronounce them. Uh, so he is he joins the Rivian board, right? So Joe Joe is currently the president of uh, Ford. Uh, actually, uh, I guess um, they just did a reshuffle of Ford management a f- couple of weeks ago. Uh, so he he is essentially now overseeing all of Ford's legacy business. Um, you know all all of the traditional uh, Ford businesses and Jim Farley, who was previously, you know, when he first started at Ford, he ran marketing for Ford. He's now overseeing all of the essentially the future business, the the mobility, the AVs. Um, you know, all of that stuff is under Farley, and all of the traditional business of designing and manufacturing vehicles that they can sell for a lot of money and use to fund all the stuff that Farley is going to be leading uh, is all, all, that's all Jim's uh, area, Jim Henry, uh, Joe, Joe, Joe's area, Joe Henricks. And he's also joining the board of uh, Rivian and, you know, Joe comes from a manufacturing background. Right. And so that means that uh, Rivian's not going to flunk out <laughs> on their commitment to Ford. Because he's going to help them figure out how to – because that's, that's where a lot of these EV startups have issues is saying, yeah, we've got this really great thing, but we can't manufacture it at scale. Uh, you know, we, we, don't, we don't know how to set up assembly lines. We don't, we don't know how to, how to make this actually work. Can you help us out? And so I, I think that that's going to really work well. They're, and he, even, even Joe says, uh, you know, they have a lot to learn from Rivian, which that was interesting to me, him saying like, yeah, well, we're working on EVs. We've got a lot of experience with it at Ford, but we also have a lot to learn. I'm like, well, well which is it? That seems like it's kind of both. Like, um, I think they're looking forward to learning from a, a nimble, smaller startup that doesn't have some of the, the top heaviness that Ford does. Uh, and so they can make moves and they can, they think differently, not necessarily better or worse, but differently. And I think that's, that's maybe what he means when he's saying that they, they have things to learn from each other. It wasn't really delineated. Um, but so I'm, I'm curious about that. Uh, the other thing that I picked up on too, was that, uh, uh, you know, RJ Scrinch from Rivian said that they're making several models for other companies. 
And so that is just sort of like a tasty little morsel of like, wonder who that is. Are they large? Are they small? Are they other EV companies? Are they other automakers? And, and how does that Well, yeah, when, when they when they first announced, you know, when they first came out of Stealth in November, you know, they said that they were going to make that skateboard available to anybody that wants to use it. So, you know, I don't, I don't know if he, if uh, RJ actually said that they're going to, that they have deals to do that, but they, they want to do, uh, or they're, they're working on those deals. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting deal. Uh, and I, I do think that um, GM's probably kind of upset. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it certainly it provides. Well, the Amazon Amazon investment was huge for Rivian, but I think that pairing up with Ford really uh, gives them a level of legitimacy. And and to your point, Dan, about the expertise in production that you know a company like Tesla, for instance, could have really used had they been open to listening. I was going to say it's probably not for lack of offering. Right, exactly. I mean, if they, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I think I think there were plenty of people with manufacturing expertise that went in and out of Tesla yeah. over the last several years. None of them stayed around long enough to actually accomplish anything because Elon was not willing to listen. Yes, exactly. So I think that that Rivian has a very different management structure, and I think RJ is really, um, he's he's eager to learn, and so I think that alone will will bodes very well for Rivian. And speaking of Tesla. <laughs> I was, I didn't know if we wanted to say more about Rivian or not, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot. Well, I mean, uh, right, right now, I mean, there's, there's not a whole lot more to say. We don't have a whole lot more concrete information. So, yeah. All right. Let's, well, let's pound on Tesla for a while. <sighs> there's a lot, a lot just happened. With Tesla, they had their dog and pony show, which didn't seem to move the stock price. Oh, it moved the stock price. Yeah. Well, in the direction that Elon that's, wanted. Yeah, actually, that's true. Price. Yes, it, they, they lost seven hundred million. Well, and first, they um, had they had their range. autonomous day on Monday, but only yeah. for investors, right? And then that's when they announced the mil the one million robo taxis by the end of by twenty twenty twenty. So I, I did a, little, a quick little calculation and I figured out that it's 88 Mondays till the end of 2020. <laughs> and, and I don't know, I perseverated on Monday because it was announced on a Monday and I just thought it'd be kind of interesting to see. I But I don't understand this whole thing of we're going to make the cars autonomous and then owners of these vehicles are going to put them into this robo taxi fleet. And make between ten and thirty thousand dollars. That uh, and we're going to insure it. We're we're going to insure it because nobody else is going to insure it. And yes, also um, owners are going to be okay with just like like sending their car off See, to well, just like okay, you have you have fun while I'm at work. Like I don't even send the kids off like I, that. I, <laughs> I was not aware that like your typical Tesla owner wanted to become an Uber driver. I, I just didn't get it. Well, they don't, they, but that's that's the beauty of this. They don't have to be an Uber driver. The car can be its own Uber driver. I, just, I don't even want somebody walking that close to I my mean, car. Come yeah. on. Well, you know, essentially what we're looking at here is something like like Turo. Um, you know, are are you guys familiar with Turo? Oh yes, um, because yeah, I'll tell yeah. you the, the my one experience. Well, I, I have multiple experiences, but I will tell you of an experience that I had. 
uh, I won't give you any details, but that the car, the Turo car, at one point, the front bumper was taken off so that they could mount a camera onto the car. And then the suction cups from another part of the camera broke the windshield. <laughs> and this Turo <laughs> car was not returned in similar condition. <laughs> uh, um, that sounds bad. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So so for, for listeners that are not familiar with Turo, yeah, this is a platform that basically lets you make your car available for people to rent. You know, uh, it's kind kind of like Airbnb. You know, yeah, it's uh, car BNB, yeah, yeah, essentially. <laughs> um, you know, so if you've got a car that's not being used much and you want to make it available for people to rent, you can put it on Turo, and you know, if somebody's in in the area where you are, that you know, that you can you can go on the Turo app or on the website, look for uh, you know, look for a car in a particular location. Uh, you know, you can see all the prices, and and if you look, you'll see there's actually a lot of Teslas available on Turo uh, today, and. Well, yeah. Um, you know what? What Elon is proposing is essentially like that, except that the cars will be self-driving, and you know when somebody wants to wants a ride, um, you know the the car will come and pick them up, take them to where they want to go, drop them off, and then go on and pick up somebody else. So kind of a a mix of of you know Uber and Turo and and autonomous vehicles. And, and I love his vision. I continue to appreciate and respect this vision it's the timelines that drive me crazy i i don't even like the vision i you know if your whole mission is some sort of environmental stewardship uh the fact that you're contributing to congestion is bad you're going to say, like, oh, we're going to have our cars automatically drive and continue to contribute to congestion all day instead of just at rush hour. Like, I, I well, mean, and you that, don't... And that's, that's where the, the key issue here is, you know, in how you execute this. Because, you know, if you just randomly put vehicles out there, you know, and say they're, you know, they're made available on the, the Tesla network and they're sitting in somebody's driveway and somebody needs a ride so it's got to go drive however many miles to pick that person up take them to their destination and then drive back home again or drive somewhere else then that is a problem because you're probably going to have a lot of deadheading miles you know most of the the companies that are that are in this space you know working on autonomous mobility systems autonomous ride hailing systems what they're looking at what they're trying to do is develop their logistics platform to minimize those deadheading miles. Because if you're running a fleet, the thing you don't want is you don't want your car driving around empty because then it's not making you any money and it's, it's costing you right. money. So, you know, you need, you need to make sure that every mile it drives, you know, it's doing something productive. And this is where I suspect that while there's also the whole problem with the fact that Teslas are not actually full self-driving and, you know, May or Details. may not happen someday, Details. but you know, <laughs> aside, aside from that, you know, there's there's the whole uh, optimization problem of how you deploy these vehicles, and that you know has the potential to to really be an issue. Yeah, you know, I, I also think that um, maybe a more lucrative thing for these cars to be doing while they're not 
being driven by their owners is like just mine for Bitcoin or something. <laughs> like they're connected to the internet. They've introduced this new fancy chip, right? That was part of the thing too. Like they developed the self-driving chip, which I saw the internet pile on and say like, well, you know, NVIDIA and um, Intel have also been working on self-driving chips and uh, this upstart Tesla, who's not a chip company is going to come in with a less powerful chip and say that, it's it's going to be the best thing ever for self driving, and I I think that well you know there, there was this other upstart company that had never designed its own chips before that uh, a few years ago um, you know started designing its own chips for its phones and tablets and uh, lo and behold <laughs> you know Apple is now considered one of the top chip design companies in the world. Well, that's that's what I was I was going with that is like you you have those sort of entrenched players and uh, they make. They make their their DSP or, or their their processors for a variety of uses, and then they they sort of make them work for that that application. Yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're not optimized for for this application. So if you're gonna strategy. if you're gonna build a board or a chip or, or whatever, like it's not just a chip, right? It's it's like a it's a it's a whole ecosystem, like a, a whole system. If you're gonna do that. You're going to optimize it for that one purpose. It's a, it's a single purpose machine. So it doesn't really matter if it is less powerful or more powerful. What really matters is its performance. And well, so it's if not you just can, performance, but also um, power efficiency, the performance yeah. per watt. And and dur- durability and like yeah. all of those things that really really matter. So like if you and, can do that, that with last a bunch one of. Is a, is very much a non trivial issue, the, the durability. Especially in an automotive environment, making automotive grade chips is actually a very difficult problem. Oh, it sucks. Yeah, it's a terrible environment. <laughs> like it's a full of vibration and temperature differentials and, and electromagnetic so, yeah. interference. Yeah, it's just a crappy place for for electronics. <laughs> so, I, like, I I'm curious to see. Uh, how that shakes out and how it how it works because you know for all that everybody likes to just take shots at, at Tesla like they're working hard on stuff and so that's actually really really interesting and I, I you know so I want to know more about that um there was a lot of shooting from the hip and made up numbers and just bad behavior well that, that's so. that's par for the course for Elon though. yeah <laughs> yeah I mean just he, he he had he had his team come up. You know, he had a couple of different people come up and talk about the the chip design, the software, uh, their testing, and you know he kept you know he was sitting there on the stage and he kept getting up and interrupting his his people you know to interject his own ideas into what they were saying. Yeah, <laughs> that so the demagoguery is is really the issue. Uh, and and so that's what I and and so since this dog and pony show they've they did they got dinged um, seven hundred million in valuation and no at the seven hundred million is uh, how much they oh. lost in the first quarter oh was it I thought yeah. it, I thought their stock price dropped okay so no, their, clearly their stock, I don't know what I'm talking about yeah the, the stock <laughs> price uh, dropped even more than well, that because right because then they reported earnings uh, yesterday on Wednesday. And so, so the autonomous day was Monday, and then they reported earnings on Wednesday, and that's when, um, you know, they missed estimates. They were not profitable. Their cash position uh, dropped significantly because they had to pay a convertible bond of nine hundred million dollars, 
And then there's there was very little discussion as to how they were going to shore cash back up. And and then Elon also opened up the possibility of of another round of, of raising capital, which had not been really on the table before. So I think the stock closed under two hundred fifty dollars for the first time in over a year. So it's it. Yeah, it's a, not a week great. a week ago, as we record this, their their stock was at two hundred and seventy three dollars a share, and it closed at two forty seven yeah, today. That's so. So I'm uh, Ford reported their earnings as well, and I have no idea if this means anything or not. But I just thought it was interesting that Tesla has about two point two billion dollars uh, in cash on hand, and Ford has a, about twenty two billion dollars cash on hand it was it was 10 i think i think as ford has 24.2 billion dollars cash on hand so it was more than 10 times what tesla has and what's the um uh what's the uh, what's the what is it the capital market capitalization well tesla i think far exceeds because ford's trading at 10 dollars. right and so that that to me, that's silly. Like Ford's sitting on a pile of cash, and they're better managed. This is why I, I'm not <laughs> like, a stock analyst because I don't understand how that valuation of Tesla the, makes sense. Well, the you know the the the, pr- the premise you know is that the stock market you know values companies based on what they think yes. they're going to do in the future yes. as opposed to what they're doing today. Yes. And so you know Tesla's crazy <laughs> stock valuation has been based on the presumption that they're going to succeed. And all the things that they've claimed. Listen, w- let me tell you, Tesla in the future is going to go bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they're going to do. <laughs> My question is, at some point, though, how do you not have some basis in fact and 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 past performance? Yeah. Influencing well, I, and I, I think that growth. we've seen that this week where, where other analysts and other um, folks who watch Tesla have – adjusted their position yeah. and said, you know, cause that's the whole short versus long right. thing, right? Is, uh, there's a lot of people who were very bullish on Tesla now starting to pull back and saying like, look, this is, this is, this is a hot mess. And so I'm going to have to suggest that maybe you don't put your money here, right? Yeah. Now. I mean, at some point, you know, cause then, the, then he started talking about production of the model Y and they started talking about about this new insurance company. I mean, there's a lot. Don't forget the semi and, and the, the semi and the pickup. Right. There's a lot of shiny objects out there. And I think that Where, where's the money for all that going to come well, from? Exactly. I think the people at some point, you just have to stop and say, what about today? And what about the operation side of this business, the cash flow, the investments that are required, all those different things. At some point, you just have to stop and say, what is going on? And, and again, I, I am very much a fan. I just, but you got to stop and, and, and explain. <laughs> right. And this, this has always been my complaint about the company is not that, you know, not that I disagree with what they're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. but rather, you know, that, you know, Elon, you know, while he's got great ideas, is a terrible manager. And this is a very poorly run company. Yes, you know, a, a prime example. You know, one of the the items in their their first quarter financial report. You know, talked about you know that they expect to um, you know to deliver about four hundred thousand cars. You know, between three hundred sixty and four hundred thousand cars in twenty nineteen, but they expect to produce significantly more than that because, you know, they're going to have cars in transit, you know, car, you know, cars that are going through customs in China and elsewhere. And I'm thinking, 
no, this, this is, this is idiotic because, you know, if, if you're, if you've got your, your systems working right, you know, yes, there's always going to be some number of some amount of your product that is in inventory that is in, in transit somewhere, there's somewhere between the factory and the customer taking delivery, you know, whether that's in the stores or on a ship or on a plane or, you know, whatever, there's always going to be some, some inventory there. But at some point, you need to get to an equilibrium where, you know, there, you know, there's cars that are built, you know, one month, they may not get delivered to a customer for another four, six, eight weeks, you know, depending on where it's going to, you know, and so there, there's, there's going to be some, some amount of product that's in transit, but ultimately, the, the number of vehicles that you actually sell and deliver to consumers has to roughly match what you're producing. You know, it's just that the cars that you're delivering weren't produced on the same day or weren't produced on the same day they were delivered. You know, there, there's, there's a, there's a flow through this whole system and, and, you know, Tesla just kind of bounces around all over the place. You know, they struggle to make cars and then they push out a whole bunch of cars in the last three weeks of a quarter and then try to push them to customers. And, you know, they complain about having, having cars in, in transit. It's like, no, it doesn't matter if they're in transit. Everybody's got cars and every manufacturer's got cars in transit. Apple has, I, you know, millions of iPhones in transit. You know, it doesn't matter what you're producing. There's, there's something in transit somewhere, but you know, you, you have to balance your, your production and, and your, and, and your sales. I, I agree. I mean, the other thing that I calculated out was that they sold 63,000 vehicles in the first quarter and they're looking at still selling. They want to still sell, I think, 400,000, which means selling like 40,000 a month going forward. I just I don't I can't get any of the math to work in with the projections and I also don't totally understand why people don't push back more on some of these calls to have them explain, just as you said, Sam, like it's the the, the vehicles in transit, everybody that that's a line item. That's an expected line item. And so it's I just they're always held to a different to a different set of standards than other manufacturers and. At some point, I just feel like they need to start being held to industry standards and not tech startup standards. I don't know when that will happen, but. What, when, once all the parts are brought up by the various parties <laughs> that uh, attend the fire sale. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that's the most frustrating thing. It's just uh, there's there's all kinds of potential here. There's very good, you know, dedicated people that the reporting about the organization has been astounding this year like reveal did a whole um series have, have you listened to that I, no. I think they did at least a couple of episodes okay. so they they talked to R reveal as an npr show and they have a podcast and it's, it's center for investigative reporting excellent so they looked into tesla and um what happens with uh, employees who get injured and they have sort of yes. you know, like Tesla follows its own drummer regardless. They follow their own drummer with uh, taking care of injured employees and they have their own sort of Tesla protocols. It's like, this is how we do it. <laughs> and exactly. Of, of course they're not correct. They, you know, the people really, really pay for it. Um, 
so it's an organization that has a lot of potential that is just squandered. And that's, I think that's the most frustrating thing and why we keep banging on yeah. it uh, a bit. Um, you know, like, like I said, I'm, I'm really intrigued with their, their uh, autonomous driving chip and that the system, you know, uh, they they're making some claims that are, are really interesting, and I, I want to see. Yeah, and if how that chip out. lives up to it, it it should be very impressive. Yeah, but you know, at the same time, um, you know, even if you've got something that's really good, you need to also, you know, you, you don't need to misrepresent what your um, what your competitors are doing. You know, like during the presentation, they talked about the Nvidia Xavier chip. And its performance, they, they, you know, Elon said it only had uh, 21 trillion operations yeah. per second. Nvidia said, uh, no, we don't think yeah. so, sir. No, no. <laughs> pretty it's, quickly. It's, it's, it's 30. Um, you know, and they also have the Pegasus system, which is 320 teraops. Yeah. So that's the kind of crap that just gives, like, gives them a bad name. And so uh, we should just move on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, next week, there'll be more stuff to talk about until something happens. You know, at a certain point, they'll either be activist investors, um, not sure, uh, but you can only do well, so many capital raises before. Uh, yeah, well, and it's it's widely thought that, you know, part of the reason why they haven't done uh, any additional capital raises over the last um, year and a half is because they can't, uh, because they've they've been under SEC investigation. And um, so they they can't get approved they can't get registration approval to actually sell more shares. Yeah, and and yeah. they continue to be under SEC investigation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when you keep saying stupid crap, that's what happens. You should just <laughs> shut up. Seriously, just go hang out. Go just hang get off out. Twitter. Yeah, go hang out with the stars that you clearly want to hang out with, and just leave the company alone. You know, just oh, people are strange. Um, all right, let's see what else is on our list here. Uh, you know, I just wanted to, to touch on some car nerd stuff just briefly, uh, because one of the things that I've really noticed from the, watching the coverage of the New York show, which I could not be at, unfortunately, because I had to be actually, uh, at my day job. You were locked in a closet writing proposals. Right. Doing day job things. Um, we... Everybody sort of focused on like, oh, here's the new X or Y, and it looks great. Let's talk about the looks. <laughs> and missing – and some of that is just the, the nature of the, the car show environment where basically you see the new thing and your your initial reaction is to what's in front of you. So it's visceral. It's visual. You get to go poke and prod at it maybe – you know, you can steal a couple of knobs because apparently that's what everybody does. Um, Only during the public days. Yeah. Uh, and, you you know, it's somebody in a nice suit from the auto manufacturer stands up there and, and gives you the press release for the most part. And um, you kind of miss out on some of the important uh, details. Uh, you know, like I was talking about with the, uh, the ES350, like the important details of that car are really in how it's how it's made the the techniques of of you know how it's it's put together and a lot of energy is expended now on powertrains and we talk especially about evs and stuff but really i think one of the most intriguing areas 
of the business is how the hell the cars are actually put together, like how you bend the metal and fasten it all to, to, to each other. Um, you know, and, and uh, there's been, you know, widespread use of, of structural adhesives over the last few years. So that's something I think that, that we, at least uh, Sam, you, because you're an engineer, you probably understand it better. But, you know, we could we could maybe uh, cover a little bit and just sort of explain a little bit about some of this stuff that makes cars now so, so good and, and so much different than how they used to be. Yeah, well, one of the the key things about um, you know modern vehicles is that the the structures have gotten really incredibly strong. You know, when the the first almost new vehicle that I owned when I was in college was a 1984 GMC S15 pickup truck, and I remember one time you know I had a I got a flat tire and you know had to jack it up to you know change the tire, and as I'm jacking it up, I'm looking down you know, along the length of this, this, you know, compact truck and just watching as the, the frame is twisting and I'm seeing, you know, the, the, the difference in the angle between the bed and the cab of this relatively small pickup truck, you know, and, you know, the, it was, it was crazy how much it twisted, how much it flexed. And, you know, I also, you know, another one I remember, uh, I don't know if you guys uh, ever had a chance to drive the, uh, the early nineties Mercury Capri, uh, the little convertible that they had that they developed with Mazda that came out about the same time as the original Miata. And, you know, that was another example of a, a, a little floppy flyer. You know, the thing you could, you could, I mean, as you drove down the road, you could just feel the thing flexing around you. It was crazy. And, you know, when you drive a modern car, it's nothing like that. It's so solid. The structures are so solid, you know, in part because they have to meet these really stringent um, occupant safety uh, standards, you know, crash protection standards. Uh, But also, you know, because when you have a solid structure to attach your suspension to, that gives you more freedom to soften up the suspension to give you better ride quality and better handling at the same time because, you you can control where those wheels are going to be relative to each other because you know that structure is not moving. When the structure is flexing, you know then you have you have no idea where the wheels are going to be. So you got to stiffen everything else up. It's yeah, it's the fifth spring. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, I never had the pleasure of an S10 or S15. That's I mean those things had rust like from the factory, but um, uh, mine mine didn't. But um, you know it, you know they were dirt cheap. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and they were dirt cheap because they were simple old school technology, right? Like that was way old school. It was a, a frame, like a Conestoga yeah. wagon <laughs> and, and a body plopped on top. And, you know, as you go down the road, like everything moves around kind of on its own rhythm. That doesn't even happen now on, on, uh, body on frame pickups, you know, no. like they're, they're just tight. They shake a little bit, but other than that. They're solid as can be. Uh, you know, the frames are real beefy. And, um, you know, I, I do think you were talking about it a little bit um, before we started the episode where you had the chance to go, um, I guess, in the early 90s, go over to, to Lotus and, and check out some of the things that they were doing. And they were the first ones to use actually glue to hold the cars together, which sounds crazy, right? Like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to glue these things together. That can't be solid, uh, as, as welding or whatever you, a it's everywhere in every car now. And you'd be surprised how ridiculously strong it is. Um, 
and it allows them to do things like put aluminum next to uh, steel. Although there's also some some technology like GM has where they can actually weld them to each other or something. Uh, I forget, which I still don't quite understand yeah. how they manage that um, successfully. But. I, I don't get it either. But so you've got these different materials that you're trying to put together, right? Or you're making a honeycomb or a sandwich of, of multiple materials. So think about the floor of a, of a supercar or even just a, you know, that that I three. Um, in some ways has a lot of this stuff in it. Uh, so the, the glue can, can bond those together and make it really, really rigid. And that's one way where they can make the cars really tight and it, the glue can then take up the, uh, I guess it's, it's creep or just dimensional, um, uh, changes from when it gets hot or cold, well, right? Well, well there, there's there's a bunch of advantages you get from using adhesives uh, in that way. You know, one is, uh, you know, in you know one of the traditional approaches for you know joining a lot of the bot the panels that make up a you know a stamped panels that make up a, a unibody uh, structure or you know a body the body structure of a vehicle is spot welding. You know, so you go along and you do a bunch of spot welds. Well. The problem is, you know, you're you're joining those these pieces of metal together, you know, in isolated locations along the along the seam, and so you don't have as much strength there. You don't have as much material that's actually joined together, and you know, so you know, spot welding is is quick and and easy and and relatively cheap, but it's not going to be as strong. It when you if you can put a bead of adhesive along that entire seam, now you're spreading out the load over a much larger area and you make the whole structure much more rigid. And another cool application of this that I saw a couple of years ago when I t- went for a tour of, uh, of Honda's uh, Performance Manufacturing Center in Ohio where they build the, uh, the NSX is, you know, on the, the NSX uh, structure, you know, you mentioned, you know, joining dissimilar materials when one of the the problems if you try to join aluminum and steel or you know any two different metals together is you get a, a process called galvanic corrosion you know i'm not going to go into all the chemistry but basically you get you'll get corrosion forming across these joints it's like a battery and, yeah and so they um they actually use a bead of glue you know where they're joining uh a steel support um uh, structure for the suspension to the the rest of the aluminum structure so that you've got a really strong bond but the steel and aluminum never actually touch because you have this adhesive in between them and so you don't get that corrosion so i mean there's a lot of neat things that they can do with with adhesives yeah so i i I don't want to belabor the point because we're we're almost at two hours and Maybe if everybody talks, if we talk about glue too long, everybody's gonna start sniffing it. So <laughs> I think we can we can leave it at that. But you know, there are other uh, technologies that go into the cars that I think are really fascinating that are kind of given um, sort of short uh, short shrift, like we did and, tonight. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> no, I think <laughs> no, I think it's good. We 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 touched on it. I think it's, I think it's a really interesting part though of the industry that we don't look at. And I think it's worth talking about some other time too, because the, the other part that I think is fascinating is how we've moved from different, a few parts of like high strength steel to now so much of the vehicle uh, is, is made up of different types of steel, different types of aluminum. It's just fat. I think it's really fascinating when you look at the progression just really in the last few years. 
Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and like that is its own set of issues where you know, high strength steel is is not exactly easy to to join and to, to weld and and are are you making custom blanks where it's, you know, high strength, mild steel and you know, another flavor of high strength all together before you stamp it and fast. Well, and this is where the industry is often uh, um overlooked in terms of innovation and creativity and 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 feats of engineering that people it's really unrecognized in many ways and yeah. needs needs some more attention uh put on it because there are there are just some really really fantastic uh creative innovations that have happened uh that that really are overlooked absolutely and it's it's all new tech it's not old stuff it's, right. it's new stuff in the last 20 years right. exactly so that's the cool stuff yes to me I agree. Because <laughs> I'm a geek. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, good. We have obliterated two hours of your day. Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, in the meantime, if, if uh, you want to head on over to Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review. You can drop us some feedback in the review section of your podcatcher of choice, but don't use Luminary because they suck. <laughs> um, if, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, we're at wheelbearingscast at gmail.com. And you can, of course, uh, comment on the posts at uh, wheelbearings.media. And the Twitter handle is uh, wheelbearingscast. Only vowel is the A in cast. And thanks for listening. And let's hope that something interesting happens before the next show. We have G- <laughs> I'm sure GM earnings coming up. <laughs> oh, there we go. That's right. It, uh, and they're, they're only doing it quarterly now. So yes. this is this is a big... Uh, well, they always do, they always yeah. do earnings quarterly. I thought they were doing it monthly. Or no, that was sales. No, it was sales. Sales. Jitsi, I don't know. I should just go back to paying attention to the creative. All right. <laughs> we'll see everybody next time. Bye. Bye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.